hello and welcome back. You're listening to another incredible episode of Inside Soccer with your host, Bill Peterson. Inside Soccer brings you the soccer fan, expert analysis and opinion on the critical issues facing the game today. Bill will also bring you guests that have incredible stories and historical perspectives on the game. With soccer experience spanning 20 years, the Rolodex is open to bring you the voices and opinions you want. Sit back and wherever you are in the world, enjoy today's episode. Welcome listeners to Inside Soccer. This is episode six and this is also Premier League week here at Inside Soccer. We're celebrating the return of one of the greatest soccer leagues in the world. We'll spend today discussing everything you would ever want to know about the EPL and running a top level club in England. This is the show that brings you true heroes of the game, the people who get their hands dirty in the issues, bringing you information and insight you won't get other places. This is Episode 6, Celebration of the Return of the Premier League. Today we're joined by Phil Alexander, the longtime executive and now CEO of the Crystal Palace Football Club. Welcome, Phil, Phil, to Premier League Week on Inside Soccer. Hi, Bill. Delighted to be with you. It's uh, it's obviously a very, very busy time for you, and... uh, you know that's uh, that's how life works. I think you sit around and 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 uh, <laughs> probably were looking for some things to do, and now all of a sudden you guys are going to play a lot of matches in a short period of time. So we do appreciate you being with us today. Uh, as always, we'll try to keep this to around thirty minutes. I've got enough questions to last for three days, but uh, we'll try to give the listeners a, a sense of what it's like to be CEO of a top club and uh, some of the, the trials and tribulations and pressures and, and uh, excitement of, of doing that. So uh, if you don't mind, why don't you spend uh, just a minute or two and share with our listeners sort of your journey. Uh, you've been there a long time, 25 years, um, but share your journey along the way with Crystal Palace and, and what it's like being CEO. Yeah, sure. Um, firstly, it's, uh, it's great great to, to meet up with you again, Bill. And uh, Good to hear your voice. I mean, we've um, we go back a long way. I mean, my, my journey in sport it goes right back to pretty much all my life. I've been involved uh, at uh, at youth level in soccer, and uh, I was fortunate enough to play for England schoolboys at eighteen. Uh, I then went pro with Norwich City, which was a great experience for a couple of seasons. Played professional there, didn't quite make it, and um, went overseas. Played over in Australia and New Zealand for a while. Came back. Uh, played um, sort of semi-pro soccer, um, and eventually um, I got an opportunity to join um, as as my first coaching role um, and with, a, with a non-league soccer team. I did that for, for for a year, basically learning my learning my trade. Um, didn't earn any money, just 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 beg, borrow, and stole really to make a, a team work. And then I got an opportunity at uh, Swindon Town uh, to go there as a head of commercial. Which was my probably my big break, and I was there for three seasons before joining Crystal Palace. And um, in the middle of that, I, uh, as you know, I played uh, for the for the uh, London Monarchs in the World League for a couple of seasons, which was uh, great fun. And finally, played at Wembley Stadium, um, which was a, always always was a dream, and that was our home ground. We we even won the World Bowl in um, 1991, um, which was um, one of the highlights in, in terms of my. Sort of American football career, which was which was fantastic, and uh, really enjoyed that. So a lot of the learnings I had from there as well that took into into soccer, 
Um, and as I said, I've joined Palace, um, and I'm now. This is my 25th season there, and uh, it's been a it's been a roller coaster in many ways. But in recent years, which has been great, seven years in the Premier League, and um, hopefully another one to come uh, when we stay up this season. So, Phil, you you mentioned to me that even though you've been with uh, Crystal Palace for 25 years, it's felt like you've been with different clubs because of different management and different ownership. Uh, What's the key to longevity in that business? I mean, not many people have spent that much time with one club and definitely not at the top of the pyramid. So what's what's your secret? I don't know. Basically, you've got certain chameleon qualities. I think you've got to understand what your owners are after at the particular time. What the what the priorities are in the business, um, and uh, to obviously know the culture of the club and know the fan base and you know the history is obviously really useful as well. It comes, it's uh, useful to anybody owning a club. I think to have someone that understands that and also understands all the rules, what you can, what you can't do, in and around player acquisition, player contracts, uh, and understanding you know what um, where, where where the club has come from and what what they're trying, you know what what, what the sort of the general basis the brand values of, of the of the fan base are as well i think it's got to be useful and the longer you stay there, the more you understand that of course and you know you're able to take advantage of of uh, of knowing that with by 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 able to serve a, an ownership or an ownership group if you like on a day-to-day basis by steering the ship through sometimes what are pretty choppy waters but at the moment uh, the premier league is arguably the strongest um strongest league in the world and um Yes, it's it's done hugely well in in recent years by generating revenues um, from all around the world, particularly from obviously from broadcast around the world due to its popularity. Obviously, NBC in the states has signed up on a long term contract, and part of the challenges we had recently was firstly, obviously, to protect um, the safety of players under under the you know the the pandemic, which was something we never none of us have ever sort of lived through. So the players and the, and the staff was always a priority. But then we had to try and get a find a way of getting the games back to protect some of those revenues that I talked about that uh, were in danger uh, or at risk simply because we weren't getting the games played. So it was very important to do that and uh, a huge amount of work has gone in by, by the leagues and all the people at the club to get it away. And last night was a, was a real um, particular moment when we got managed to get the season started and then we got six and a half weeks to finish it off and then we can concentrate on next year. But it's been a... It's been a, um, a real journey in the last few months, something I've never faced in my time at Crystal Palace and uh, obviously, uh, you know, never really want to do it again, to be honest with you. But it's, it's been, a, you know, the, the league, the people in the front office of the league, people running the operation, um, certainly my team at the club um, have been brilliant throughout. The players have been fantastic, very grown up, very professional, understanding what was trying, we were trying to do and to enable us to get to where we are today. Yeah, I tell you, you got to give credit to uh, to your league for coming back uh, now. And you know, over here, we've got NASCAR, and uh, I think that's about it so far. And so, and, and that's 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 a whole. You know, I give them a lot of credit too, but that's a whole different environment. Uh, it's a little bit easier to drive race cars around 200 miles an hour than it is to play a, a soccer match with nobody in a stadium. And uh, if you've been in this business and you start thinking about all the precautions that have to go in and all the risks that exist, you're right. It's a, it's a Herculean effort to get it done, but it also takes a lot of courage and a lot of faith from uh, everybody involved, including the players. So, so how are the players? I mean, uh, you know, we, we, you've upset their time clock, if you will. You've cut into their summer vacation for some of them, or most of them, I guess. 
how do they feel about coming back this week? Well, initially there was obviously a lot of skepticism. Um, you know, there was a lot of the unknown, and, and with that, you get you get people who are not sure, um, you know, what to do. But I think what 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 was very clear was that the the, the, the league, uh, medical people, the medical guys were con- consultation with the government uh, and what was going on at the central government and what the direction there and guidelines they were showing, giving the general public, and and. It was about consultation with the players. It was about actually letting them know that that their safety was was an absolute priority, um, and we had to make sure that they were comfortable with that. They understood the the testing regime. They understood the protocols that were going to be put in place, all designed to protect them um, from from infection, which would have been um, obviously horrendous from their own personal point of view. And it's the last thing we needed to do. But once we once we actually got over that sort of initial kind of hurdle, got the Got the consultation moving. Um, they were generally very, very good, and uh, you know, full credit to them, full credit to the coaching staff as well. They had to follow the same protocols because they're mixing with the, with the players day in, day out. Uh, we, we've now got the issue of travelling to away games where we got to, again follow very similar protocols. I mean, the protocols we're following are much higher than the government ones. So the, the Premier League have put have raised a very, very, put a very, very high bar in place to ensure that. Uh, you know, the risk of infection is, is almost is almost eradicated from their day to day environment, and you can't be a hundred percent sure. So you've got to be on your on your toes and alert throughout the whole program. But you know, we're putting in. We've got home games which we've got to deliver behind closed doors, and the protocols. Um, There's a huge document around that we produced which shows what we have to do to ensure that anybody entering the stadium has gone through a risk assessment that they can't enter what we call the red zone, which is where the players are and the officials. Um, they can only go into other parts. They've got to wear a face mask. They've got to, um, you know, they've got to stay, stay, be socially distant in terms of where they watch the game from. So it's it's very, very strict. And there is a very high bar that's been set, um, uh, as I say, higher than the government high bar to ensure that we do have the very, very highest of standards to protect the players, the coaches and everybody involved in putting the games on. Um, and uh, you know, so far so good. The testing has been going on for a few weeks now, and the, the, the numbers of positive tests are very, very low, um, which is a, you know, which is a testimony to, to, the, to the standards that have been put in place. But um, you know, it, it, there's no room for complacency on this. We just got to keep going, keep make sure we stick to it. There's no people don't break down and forget what they're supposed to be doing. Um, break away from from, from the, the, the regimented processes that are put in place. Um, hopefully we'll get the whole season away and um, and then on to sort of thinking about next season and, and when we can get fans back watching the games. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, again, extraordinary effort and a lot of uh, really smart people thinking this through. But the fact remains that once you walk out of the club environment and you guys aren't quarantining players, once they walk out of that environment, you know, the risk factor, I guess, goes up some some degree is there a number of players that if if a certain number of players all of a sudden contract covid is, is that a problem is there is there somebody going to raise their hand and go this is no longer a valid competition um you know we, we we've lost half of our starting 11 well we have we have a, a squad so you you have a, a match day squad of 25 mm-hmm. and um it was discussed at, at shareholder level with all the clubs and it was agreed that if you went, if you if you've got a squad of sixteen, you have to play the games. That's that's simply where we're at. 
you, you couldn't be in a position where you you lost one or two players, whether that be injury or COVID or whatever, um, and you were cancelling games because we just simply haven't got the time to do that. So had we, there was a collective decision by all the leagues so to say that 16 was the number. If you were below 16, you had the ability to put the game back, postpone it and put it back. Um, but at the moment, you know, looking at the testing levels, which are really low, you're talking ones and twos across over over sort of uh, 1,200 tests literally every time we do it. And we're testing twice a week now, pretty vigorous. So the, everything everything's looking very, very good. But the number was, the number we decided on was 16, but um, it's unlikely to get anywhere near that the way, the way it is at the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, interesting story here. It just happens to be uh, down the street from where I live. Some lady took 14 of her friends out uh, last week and uh, uh, all 14 and herself and someone who works at the bar. So I think there's a total of 16 people now have all tested positive. I mean, you know, I don't even know how that's possible, but, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not in the medical field either. So, uh, look, let's. Our hospitality, our hospitality business is completely locked down. You can't go out the pubs, the bars, everything's all, all it has been for months. So, um, it shows, you know, some of the protocols that we've had in place. You could, you just wouldn't be able to do that. Have they started to loosen any of the restrictions? No, there's a lot of pressure at the moment. So, that with regards to the two meter distancing, because that's quite uh, you know that puts a lot on businesses and shops and you know places that uh, on businesses trying to open and, and, and breathe some life back into into their revenues, and uh, it puts a lot of pressure on. So, at the moment, I think the, the one meter distancing has been discussed, and it's the, the two meter is, is is under review at government level. I would see that maybe relaxing in in the weeks to come would be the only thing really, but. Everything else is pretty strict. Yeah, I mean, we've started to come back here on the beach, and and uh, it's still limited. I think to fifty percent on indoor seating, but the number of places closing down, and now we've got a, another round of people closing down. I mean, fifty percent of revenues in that industry is not enough to sustain. I mean, they're going to need a hundred plus uh, to keep this thing going and recoup some of their losses from being shut down and everything else. So, it's uh, there's still a lot of bumps in the road out in the public, and um, you know we're going to have to uh, see what happens and how that affects uh, sports and our in the in the games we love. But um, let's let's move off of COVID for a minute and go back to the club level. You know, here in the states. Uh, there's always a discussion going on about promotion relegation and the pros and cons of that. As you know, MLS does not have promotion relegation. Actually, no one in the country has promotion relegation. Uh, so it, it, it creates this great talking point. Um, you know, uh, there's, there's definitely two sides to whether it exists or not exists. That's not my question for you. It definitely exists where you're at. So share with our listeners a little bit about those stresses as CEO, you know, what are the stresses you're feeling year in, year out, off season, season, uh, how much of it controls your thinking on a day to day basis? You're right. You're right. Relegation doesn't exist in U.S. sports, and and it kind of adds a little bit to the jeopardy, really, in terms of the broadcast appeal of of uh, of, of the Premier League. I think because you've got who's going to win the league, who's going to qualify for Europe, etc. But also you've got the you've got the, the the devil, if you like, the uh, the jeopardy at the bottom end of the league. Who teams can get relegated? So you've got very few games in the season that actually are meaningless in, in terms of in terms of the intensity. 
Um, and that's obviously quite appealing from a broadcast perspective and, and adds weight to the to the value of, 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 the, of the whole league. But from from my point of view, I suppose, you know, you've got to look at you've got to look at the implications of relegation, which is hugely financial, and it, and it really is a big hit. Um, and you've seen plenty of teams go down one division, and then not just one; they go down two divisions in consecutive years as well. And that's happened on quite a few occasions. Uh, it happened actually when I was at Swindon many many years ago. Um, so it's because it takes a while for the club to to readjust from going down um, a whole league with with lower revenues, lower interest from in the general public. And coming, coming, getting generally getting over what has been a very difficult period in terms of going down uh, that division because the fans obviously are very disappointed. Inevitably, you get change of managers and, and coaches around that period as well. So there's a whole period of instability in and around the club. Um, and and it's it, uh, I've done it you know a couple of times at Palace now. And it's it's not it's not good. It's not a not a good time to be around the, the business. But you just got to. Um, Focus on what we need to we need to do as a business. Focus on the revenues you need to generate um, from the tra- from transfers. What the players will want, um, and and keep keep the keep the staff um, focused and, and uh, motivated as best as you can. And you know you do come through it. And but it is a difficult, very very difficult period. And from a Premier League point of view, Premier League down to the Championship is a is a big fall. And um, you know hopefully this year we're pretty much safe. We're not mathematically safe, but sitting in eleventh, we're in a good place. Hopefully, we'll have another year in the Premier League. But every year is the same, really. You've got probably half a dozen teams that can potentially win it, and you know they're going to be in the top six, with maybe one or two um, added to that. And the rest of the teams, the other 20, are on the starting line, really. And it's a race to 40 points. And once you get to that magical 40 points, you're pretty much assured of Premiership um, Premiership status the following year. And then you can perhaps look at look at uh, going up the league a little bit, but it, it really is um, it really is in, uh, um, an ins- uh, a, a challenging time right at the beginning of the season. See how you get off get off to a good start. You want to make sure you you, you don't fall behind too early, um, and you, you you can get you can get to a good position. There's 38 games, so with 40 points, you you pretty much need just one one a game, one point a game. If you dip below that average, you'll generally find yourself in the bottom three or four. Um, and, you, and you're, you're rowing up, rowing against against the stream, really. And, it, and it's it's um, it's a challenge. Every year is a challenge, um, and it's uh, uh, you know I love it. I've done it for many many years. And, and you get into an annual cycle. You know where you are on your ticket sales. You know where you're on your commercial sales. Uh, we've got some fantastic things going on at Crystal Palace now. Where there's investment going into our academy and new structure. Uh, we've got a new stand planned for uh, to take the, take the, the capacity up. Um, to around 32, 33,000 from the current 26. So plenty, plenty going on at Crystal Palace. We've got a, a good, strong um, shareholder base at the club. Um, in fact, we're partly, partly US owned now, which you're probably aware of, which is which is which is great. Um, so we've got a strong, strong ownership base, and um, you know we're based in London, so it's, it's an appealing club to be part of. Uh, I love every minute of it. It's it's a challenge at times, but. Uh, you know, it's it, it, it's sport, and then you, you, know, you can't win every game. We know that, but we like to like to think we can outpunch our weight in, in many aspects. That's fantastic, uh, and what a great setup to be involved in. Um, so, so let me ask you this question. It's it's a little bit out of uh, the blue here, but if you had to talk about Crystal Palace, what what is it that you what what is it that Crystal Palace does that's better than other clubs in the same sort of range, if you will, same sort of size and range? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I mean, I think what we do 
is we know who we are. We've done a lot of work in terms of our brand. We understand the values behind the club. We're a very, um, we're kind of a blue collar club. We've got a very dedicated, committed um, fan base who supported the club for many years. And we 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 uh, we pride ourselves on having one of the best stadium atmospheres. Not the biggest stadium, but in terms of the atmosphere, it's very, very um, old school, very gritty, very determined. We keep our prices, our ticket prices, um, very very realistically um, that low um, to ensure that we can we can retain our, our traditional fan base at the ground. Um, and and we 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 are we we're very lo- the fans are very loyal. Um, so consequently, if you do lose a few games, it's not the end of the world. But you know, we 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 know who we are, and we we're, we're very real, we're very pure in terms of the club. We don't do things that are, are not um, sort of natural in terms of a football fan, if you like. We don't we don't wave plastic banners around. We 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 you know it, it's 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 something that we we in terms of our values, brand values, we we're, we're very determined to be to keep that way as well. Um, and um, it's recognised when people come to the ground. They just they just love it. They love the atmosphere. They love being part of what we do. Very much a family club. We're very much ingrained in the local community. We do a lot of work through our uh, community foundation, and we're known for doing that. We bring a lot of good kids coming through in, in our academy simply because of the the, um, the 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 size of the catchment area that we've got as, as a club in, based in South London. Um, and all these these aspects of our club we're well known for, and we play to that. Um, every time we can, uh, but we so say we, it's it's about it's about real uh, it's about having integrity about what you what you are as a business, and we, we do things that we do we do examine what some of the things we do. We look at all the um, some of the some of the marketing the communications we put out. They're great. They're very gritty and earthy, um, and um, very engaging in terms of the things we do. But they're very very similar. You can look at things you can look at things that we do we put out. And you, you know, we've got our own typeface. We've got to make sure that's it's a very shouty, loud typeface. And we, and we're very consistent how we how we do that. And uh, our fans really, really enjoy it. And it's something we, it's, which I, I really enjoy being part of. And um, you know, that's something we do very well. I think that's fantastic. Okay, so switching gears for a second, uh, we see a lot more U.S. players headed to Europe and starting to play now. I think, though, there's only one in the Premier League uh, at Chelsea Pulisic uh, out of Hershey, Pennsylvania. But generally, and I'm not talking Phil Alexander opinion, but generally across your league, how would you characterize the feeling towards the American players coming over and, and what are the challenges that you see that they face uh, you know, uh, in their journey, I guess? Well, uh, there's been, there's been a hand, you know, quite a, quite a few um, American players have come over and played in the Premier League over the years. I mean, the obvious the obvious uh, barrier at the moment is the fact that they need to they need to have a work permit. Um, if you're a non-European player, you've got to have a work permit, and to get a work permit to play in the Premier League, you have to run through some some fairly fairly large hoops in terms of getting that permit. So you've got to be an international player. You've got to have played X number of games in your international in the last two years. So that's that's one of the biggest hurdles you've got um, to, to overcome. But um, on leaving Brexit, there's every chance that that might change and, and the bar might be lowered, which will enable more American players to come in who hadn't previously qualified for work permit. That's only going to that's happening in the next 12 months. That's so that's going to be an interesting time because the American players will, will won't face that barrier, uh, and, and they'll be coming purely on a on a on a skill based basis. If they're good enough, they'll get the opportunity. So um, I think that obviously they. 
previously the, the coming if they played in, in the MLS um, it's quite a big jump from the MLS to the Premier League so they've had to to to, to understand what, what it takes to get uh, from athlete to play from to play as an American playing in the Premier League but in, in general now I think that the, 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 the Premier League clubs are open to all nationalities and uh, if they're good enough um, there's there's generally a feeling to give people a go and that's been proven over many times by the American players and as the MLS continues to grow and continues to improve its standards the gap will get closed I suspect and you'll see more American players coming over because they'll be good enough to make the grade. So when you talk about the work permit is this correct when I say what you're really talking about is they, 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 they really can't make the jump over unless they are a proven international star which uh, precludes them from coming to in at, at 16, 17, 18 and developing uh, with a club like uh, a, a person would from, from Europe at this time or, or Exactly right, yeah. Right. Like, exactly right, yeah. I mean, they can move over if it's for non-football reasons, but that's very few and far between. But um, yes, you're right. But but that looks like that's going to be changing. Because as you know, we're coming out of Europe uh, and as a result of that, then it's going to affect all industries. And in our industry, uh, the Premier League are working with its FA to look at what uh, what that bar was going to look like, how high that's going to be in terms of being able to get a work permit, uh, which is which is going to be a lot lower than it previously was. The result of that will mean that um, it will be down to more ability than, 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 than anything else for the American players to come and play in the Premier League. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, we'll see what happens uh, with with Brexit. That's for sure. Uh, so yeah. switching gears uh, once again, and uh, you know, I'm the father of a, a daughter who plays soccer, so I'm always curious about this. And having lived in Europe uh, in the '90s when women's soccer was, I hate to say it, but sort of an afterthought, it wasn't something that was taken so seriously. Maybe now you start to see uh, the growth of leagues and teams and more players and stronger national teams uh what's what's the feeling at crystal palace about this yeah well it's a, it's a good point bill i mean but the whole diversity thing is right the way across sport and now women women playing sport is is uh, far more prominent uh, and we have our own team we've got our own ladies division if you like this there's 20 teams, believe it or not, we've now got in our ladies section, and uh, all from from youth teams up to up to our first team. So, in terms of the structure over here, there's there's a women's super league, which is basically uh, professional, and there's a um, there's a group of about 12 teams playing in that. And then underneath that, there's the championship league, which is which is national as well. And underneath that, you've got various regional leagues. We're in the championship in the second tier down for our ladies team. Um, they they work extremely hard and they uh, they they've got their own they've got their own setup their own structure their own board running runs alongside the Crystal Palace Football Club with our name obviously we fund it we fund it as best we can um, and um, you know it's it's never been uh, as strong as it is now and, and we're hoping to continue with that and uh, the team can go from strength to strength but it's certainly something that we take we take very seriously Bill and. Um, as does as does soccer generally, and um, you know that, that's reflected in the performance of the national team as well, which has done particularly well in recent World Cups. And like every team that has wins and losses, but in general, it's it's coming leaps and bounds. Uh, it's very professional in terms of its operation now, and um, you know we we we're very much part of that, and long may that continue. 
That's fantastic. Well, hopefully it'll continue to grow. So look, we're coming to the end of our time with you. We appreciate it. Uh, the question is, do you have any, uh, interesting stories you can share with our listeners, something that uh, maybe they haven't seen or heard before, or you find very unique or funny, uh, anything, uh, top of mind? Uh, nothing, nothing really, Bill. I mean, it's, it's, it's from someone that's, uh, played soccer all his life and involved in soccer now and to have played American football as well, as you know, my time with the Monarchs, it was, uh, it was a, a real dear time in, in close to my heart in those couple of years when we played, uh, when we played at Wembley, it was fantastic, and and to uh, to be speaking to some of those guys, Stan Gilbert, who was um, our quarterback, who went on to play for uh, the Seahawks for a couple of seasons as well, I was chatting with him only a few days ago uh, for the first time in over twenty years, believe it or not. I spoke to him, and he was talking about his time with the Monarchs, time in London, and getting that World League going, and uh, he he rated it at the high point of his career. And when you consider he played, um, he played it in the NFL. Uh, and he he rated that he rated you know really rated that so highly. So for me to play at Wembley playing American football was a bit bizarre, but um, uh, I, I loved it. I loved my whole time there. And and uh, that Palace now, um, you know, for 25 years I've been there now, which is which is I pinch myself sometimes to think where the years have gone. But uh, hopefully there's many more years of, of uh, to come. But it's not particularly the, the funny story that you were after, but it was kind of summarises some of my thoughts and. How, how dear to my heart that time when we met Bill were playing and uh, involved in the World League all many, many years ago, how, uh, what a good time we had. Yeah, it was uh, definitely barnstorming days. Uh, I'll, I'll share a quick one, which you'll find uh, funny since uh, I'm, I'm an American, but um, in our first year, so it's 1991, we're going to play in London. Uh, we're staying at the hotel across from Wembley, the original Wembley, and we walked down and, uh, you know, do the site check of the building. I didn't realize they still raced dogs there. It was, uh, <laughs> but just standing there and thinking about all the history and all the great matches that had been there was really, uh, uh, really something for me. Uh, so we went back to the hotel and, and there's uh, a couple guys and, 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 a, and, a, and a, an older gentleman who had been in the NFL for a long, long time. And we said, hey, let's, let's take one of these vans and drive down to Piccadilly Circus. You know, we're Americans. We're going to drive, right? So uh, they're like, Bill, you drive. So I get in this van. I've never drove in England before, so it's, it's the opposite side of the road, obviously. And I can't get the van to turn left out of the parking lot. I mean, I've made three laps around, and it, my, my, my mind just won't let me go out there. Finally, we get it out on the street. We go, oh, I don't know, not even a quarter of a mile. And uh, the older gentleman looks at me and goes, Bill, take the van back. He goes, we'll find another way to get there. <laughs> so we went back and took the tube and, and realized just how much easier that was. But, um, yeah, those were there were a lot of lessons and a lot of interesting times back there. But, man, you've done an un unbelievable job, and uh, we're going to follow you for the rest of the season. And hopefully you guys have a fantastic finish to whatever this is going to be. And, and uh, whatever your off season is going to be, you retool and get ready to go again. So, Phil, we appreciate you being on here. Uh, good luck with everything. We know it's going to be busy, uh, but a lot of a lot of faith in you and, and the leadership there, and, and uh, we wish you the best. Hey, Bill, no worries. This, I'm going to send you over a shirt, a Palace uh, first team shirt. I like your logo. Um, and, uh, it's great. It's fantastic. And the, uh, just maybe have a bit of fun with your listeners and, or someone that might want a competition or something, you can give it away, but I'll send it over to you for... Uh, 
in the post in the few next few days. We'll do that. We'll do that next week. That's a that's a or, or as soon as we can. That's a fantastic uh, idea. All right. Thank you, Phil. No worries. Take care, Bill. Take care.